The word of God that comes to us today is from the house master in the parable of Jesus. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, do any of you have a favorite car that you now own or that you have owned in the past? It's just the best. Anybody? Some of you? What is it? Mustang. Uh-huh. All right, I like that. Anyone else like a good Mustang? All right. I remember growing up and driving around, riding around in my dad's 65 uh, Ford Mustang drop top. As a kid, I was about five years old. It was glorious, right? This was wonderful. That's uh, that's probably not what you're thinking, but maybe a, a newer version. Whatever. Mustangs are awesome cars. So let's think for a moment. I'm going to tell you a story about a Mustang. This is really a story about you and a story about me. Let's say that you want a Mustang. You're like, wow, there it is. It's gleaming on the lot, right? It's, you can imagine it like you've wanted this forever, especially, you know, if you're 14 and you don't have a car yet, but you can't wait to get one. This is the one, right? And let's just say, perhaps, that you don't have the cash in hand to go buy it. But maybe you can scrape up the monthly payments. So you go to the Ford dealer and you say, uh, Sir, would, do you think I could rent this Ford Mustang? Uh, can I lease it? And they look at your credit and they say, Well, we'll give it a shot. So you sign the papers and you take it home. It's got a five liter, right? It's, it sounds great. It's got leather. It has a, has a, it's a convertible. It's awesome, right? How happy are you? Yeah, you're very happy, right? Are you there? Do you feel the sun on your head? Do you feel the wind over your head? Right? It's great. It's glorious, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so you're going home. You love this thing. You know, it's the end of the month. You write a check. You send it in or whatever, however it comes out of your bank account. And you gladly send it off. Right? Because you get to use this beautiful Ford Mustang. Right? A whole year goes by. And, you know, each month you're just writing that check. Thankful that you get to use this Ford Mustang. It's yours, right? And then that voice in your head that says, it's yours, ramps up. And before you know it, you think it's yours. It's yours. It's yours, right? And it no longer belongs to the Ford dealer. So at the end of the month, when it's time to write that check, no way, you're not going to write that check. It's yours, right? And then the Ford dealer isn't very happy with you, so they send you know, letters, they, they call you, they say, we need the payment. Um, they send a tow truck to come get it, right? But you pull an OJ and you're out, you're gone, right? So let me ask you, how is this going to end for you? <laughs> not good, well, why not? It's yours, right? It's not yours. But you sign the papers, you pay rent on it for a long time. It's not yours, Right? You get to use it, right? And I think that's the history of humanity, where we have this Mustang, this body, this soul, this breath, and we say, it's mine, right? We think to, my, to ourselves, it's mine. But is it really ours? Is this body really mine? Ultimately, like, yes, it's your body, right? If someone punches you, it's going to hurt you, Right? If you, uh, if you don't eat well, it's going to affect you, your body. Yes, it's yours, but is it ultimately yours? No. You are, we could say, renting it. 
Now, I don't, I'm not separating you from your body. You are your body, right? That's Christian thinking. You are your body. You don't get to escape it, you know, when we go to heaven. You'll be reunited with your body. It's always yours, but there's something about it that is... In creation... Well, so there's two options. Either God created us or he didn't, right? They're pretty simple, right? If he didn't create us, no big deal, then we really are ours by ourselves, right? And uh, we're free. We are not owned by anybody. We are free. And the, the price of that is high, which means if I'm not created and I'm just here by chance, eventually the, the universe will fizzle out, sun will burn out, and there'll be nothing but cosmic dust or maybe not even that, right? Is there meaning in that, ultimately? No, that is meaninglessness. If you're not created, eventually it turns into meaninglessness. Even though for a while, it's great. You get the sun on your, on your head, you get, the, you, know, you get to drive that Mustang for a while, but ultimately, it's, it's meaningless. The other option is that you are created. If you are created, you are owned by the creator, Right? Those are the two options. Um, do we live like we are created? The world live like it is created by God? Never since our first parents, right? Let me just give you one passage. Romans one. Paul tells us this. I would encourage you to read the whole chapter when you have time. But he talks about humanity. Me. You can put your name here. He says this. For although they knew God, this is the history of the world, they knew God, not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Do we live like we belong to God? Often not, right? Often, as it says here, we refuse to honor him and give thanks to him, right? Because we've lost perspective. Our hearts have become darkened. We forget that we're driving this Mustang off the lot, and wow, what a privilege, right? Wow, I get to live this life. And yeah, I have to write the check, but is it a sacrifice? It's a joy. It should be, right? That's the way we're designed to live. So we don't live like that now. So I would call that the craziness of mankind to live as though we are owners when we are renters, right? That's the craziness of mankind. We could go on and on with that. I'll just go to one other place. Deuteronomy chapter 6 talks about the people of God, Israel, coming out of the land. And it says this, um, When you get there, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord. In fact, nine times in Deuteronomy it says, don't forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is to the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. And it goes on, it says that he is a jealous God. We are meant to be owned, and that's not a bad thing, right? Uh, you know, think of Toy Story. You got the name under the boot. Whose name is under the boot of Woody, of Woody's boot? Andy, right? 
God's name is on your boot, right? That's what he says. Don't forget. But we have forgotten. Many of us. And this is, we can look at the world and say, this is the case. Look at, in your bulletin, though, the, the, the gospel reading. This is the same story I already told you. Just take out Mustang and put in vineyard, right? Take a look. Uh, this is verse 33 of our gospel reading. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. Think for a moment. You're living in the Middle East in the year 30, right, or 28. You're maybe 33, actually, when Jesus told this parable. It is, there's no guarantee that you're going to have enough harvest to make it through the year. You don't know if you're going to have enough rainfall. You don't know politically if things are going to be okay. For someone else to prepare a vineyard, a, a rich guy, a rich investor, to make a vineyard, to, to plant it with all the rows of vines, for him to put a, a wall around it, a stone wall around it, for him to, to build a tower in it so that you can crush your grapes, and then for him to say, hey, you want to live here? You want to live here and work this? You can have most of this, and I, I'm going to take my share because I invested heavily in it. What should be the attitude of the tenants towards the, the owner? Yeah, wow, this is cool. Yeah, I'll, yeah, put my name first in the pile, right? I'll give you my resume. Here, let me in, right? You want to be there. It's a good place to be, all right? So keep that in mind. And then it says that he leased it to the tenants and he went into another country, And then when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. Does he have the right to do this? Of course. It's his stuff, right? Just like Ford, when they knock on my door and they say, you know what, you missed your payment. He has every right. Ford has every right to request the payment. They built the car. It's their car. Well, here it says, when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants. And and the tenants, get this, instead of paying the rent given the 10th or you know, 20% of the grapes, the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. That's the insanity, the craziness of mankind. When you hear the truth that you are owned, that you owe the owner, you will do everything you can to get rid of it, right? Now, this happens in big ways and in little tiny ways in our hearts, right? Every day. Correct? I mean, we can just search our hearts and say, yeah, when I did that, I was really saying, God, you don't own me. You have no right on me. Okay? Well, the craziness of God, so that's the craziness of man. I'm a renter, but I act like an owner. The craziness of God is not to bring swift justice. Right? I sent my three guys to you. You beat one, killed one, and stoned one, which is kind of redundant, right? (laughs) Okay, if I'm the owner of the vineyard, I'm the investor, I own all this, and I sent three, my, three of my choice servants to you, and you killed them, or at least killed two of them, and beat one up, what should be my response? What would you do? Not only kick them out, what else? Not only, okay, uh, you can go somewhere else. Revenge, right? And if I don't have my own uh, military, I'm going to request the military that's there the police force, whatever, the justice system. Get rid of these guys and give me justice. No, the fruit is the tiniest thing right now. What about you killed my guys, right? Well, instead of getting justice, what does he do? He sends some more. He sends some more. This is the insanity or the craziness of God. 
sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Well, it started with a couple guys dead. Now there's a handful. Okay. Not very smart of the owner, right? It's the craziness of God. So now he should really enact justice, right? But he doesn't, right? Which is why we're here. And what's he do instead? Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. That word respect, in this case, it means something like they'll turn toward my son. They will have regard for my son. Right? His... Um, go back to, you don't have your Bibles, but I'm going to go back to Deuteronomy. I read Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to look at Deuteronomy 7. And this is the same thing. This is he sent his son. This is the craziness of God. Uh, the next chapter in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 7, it says this, that the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people of his treasured possession. This is Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. So in other words, it's like he's saying to the people, you're here, but it's not because you're great. You are here because the Lord loves you. And the Lord loves you because he set his love on you. Why are we lovable? Because God sets his love on us. So there's some really strapping men in here. You know, if you asked your wife, honey, why do you love me? And she says, it's because you have a hot bod. <laughs> right? Just imagine this conversation. <laughs> I know it's silly, right? Okay. Especially with my wife laughing the most. <laughs> All right. And you look at yourself, you're like, yeah, you know what? Actually, you know, definitely. I can see it. I see it in the mirror. You're checking yourself out. Like, okay, I'm going with it. At first, you think, this is great. She loves my body, right? But then after a while, what happens? That sort of wears off. Like, oh, there's a lot of pressure. I mean, I have to keep, you know, doing bicep curls and all that stuff. You love me because of my, by my body, all right, that's great, but what about when my body changes and I don't look like I used to look, right? Not that that's happened to any of us, right? <laughs> it's incredible pressure, and it's not the true you. Yes, you are your body, but your, your wife doesn't love you because of your body, I don't think, right? Your wife says instead, you're, you know, why, honey, why do you love me? It's just like, well, I love you just because I love you. It's unexplainable, right? That's the truth, isn't it? Yeah, that is the truth, and that comes from... God. That's what God just said to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 7. It's not because you're so great that I love you. I love you because I set my love on you, right? And that's exactly what we see here in the parable when the craziness of God, this owner, this investor, this, this person says, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. Why does he send his son? Because you have a hot bod? He loves him because he loves me. He loves you, right? Not because of anything else. Romans, Paul tells us this in Romans. Romans 5 says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 
When we were enemies, he loved us and sent his son to die for us. When we were at our worst, he loved us anyway, right? His love is what transforms us. So that's the the craziness of, of the world, to think we're owners when we're renters. And that's the craziness of God, to love us despite what we are, right? And to transform us into his creatures. But then this, this passage ends in sort of a scary way. So we have the craziness of God, the craziness of man, the craziness of God. And then it kind of comes together with what I'll say is the corner. You know, this hinge between the two. The corner, the cornerstone. And there's, everyone has to deal with this. This cornerstone. Like, take a look. This is, it goes on and says, um, you know, this is Jesus telling, foretelling what would happen to him, Right? The owner sent his son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and have his inheritance. Still crazy, right? If we kill him, we'll get the inheritance. No, won't happen. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? So the people who are talking to Jesus, who is listening to him, they know the truth because this is an outlandish story. When the owner, when the son's father comes, what will he do? They answer themselves, these wretches, these miserable people, to rent, give the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Right? That's, they can see the, the, the common sense of it. Of course that's what the owner is going to do, right? Find some new guys to live there, right? So how do we know if we're the new guys who get to live there or the old guys who get kicked out? It's kind of an important question, isn't it? It's all about how we respond to the son, to the death of the son. Is it for me, or am I okay without it? Right? Jesus goes on and says this, and he's quoting from Psalm 18. Haven't you ever read, the stone that the builders rejected, these tenants, has become the cornerstone This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And then he says, I'll tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. We can make this easy and just say, well, Jesus is talking only to Jewish people, Jewish leaders of the first century, and just export it all. That would make it easy. He's talking to them about them. You reject the son, it's going to go to someone else. And we can say, yes, that's me. But that's, that's too easy. We have no reason to think that, I'll just start small, that this church will exist if we have no faith. We have no reason to assume that we'll be here in five years if we don't have faith. We have no reason to think that the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod will be here in 50 years if we don't have faith. If you look at these other denominations, these other peoples of God, if they lose faith, they lose people. They lose it, right? The, the, the vineyard is taken away from them. We can't assume that America will be Christian if we don't have faith. So think for a moment about you and a loved one, like your, your partner, your, your spouse. If you neglect your wife, can you assume that you'll be married to her in five years? If you come home from work, don't say thank you for dinner, go to your man cave or go to the golf course and don't talk to her, do you think she's going to want to stay married to you? No, of course not. It's the same with God. If we say, I'm okay, God, I'm not going to listen to you, 
then we become one side of this cornerstone. There's two options with the cornerstone Jesus. He tells us, we either get crushed by it, as we, if we hold on to our pride. That's one option, get crushed by it. The other option is, in humility, he says he, he'll give them. That means we receive. The other hand, then, is we get built on the cornerstone. There's only two options. We're crushed by Jesus, or we're built onto Jesus. So, let's end with this. These are words for you. Peter was a man who many times denied his Lord. All the way through. Said stupid things, did stupid things, but yet he was redeemed. He knew that the corner, the cornerstone Jesus died for him. And so he says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. I think this fits. So just listen to this, and this is how we end. Peter writes this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were resolved to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the nations honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In the name of Jesus, amen. Having heard the word of God, I invite you to stand and confess your faith in our Lord using the words of the Apostles' Creed.